Say happy birthday. Happy birthday. Relax already. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Nancy. Happy birthday, dear Nancy. Happy birthday, Nancy. Happy birthday, Nancy. Happy birthday, Nancy. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Step One Meeting. Um, I'm Bob. I'm a compulsive eater. Hi, Bob. Uh, and uh, been in program. Uh, my first meeting was November 3rd, 2003. I've been abstinent for over 15 years. I feel like I'm getting old in program, which isn't a bad thing. <laughs> and by the grace of my higher power, giving away 120 pounds. Um, I have pictures I'll pass around. Um, Pictures show you where I came from. Uh, doesn't tell the whole story, but it tells you a story about the weight for sure. And probably this, the, what, I, what I love about the pictures is that I'm smiling no matter what. But when I was 300 pounds, I was, it, was, it was a facade. And when you see me when I'm you know, normal body weight, um, I'm smiling and it's, I, I know it's more genuine, but it's, it's more genuine because I've been through the steps and because I have inner peace. And the first thing I have in, in, in the book is the word peace, a little bracelet that someone gave me. So that's, that's extremely important to me. Um, so instead of telling you about my food story, you know, um, and my, uh, you know, my trials and tribulations as a kid and, and before program, I decided to write a little ditty. So <laughs> bear with me. I was singing it on the way. To, uh, to, to as I wrote here. So it goes like this. Food, you kicked my ass. <laughs> Food, I blame you for making me fat. <laughs> Food, I hate you. <laughs> Food, I still need you. Food, I still love you. No, I hate you. No, I love you. No, I hate you. Food, you really have kicked my ass. That's it. So, it really was what I thought the ultimate love-hate relationship I had with food. Um, but really was it, you know, um, it was about the relationship I had with my mind, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, it wasn't really food that I hated. Um, the food was only a symptom. So we'll get into that. Um, a lot of it was some of the decisions that I made, but really I didn't find out until I came into program that it was the fact that I had a disease and I didn't understand what was happening to me was really the biggest part of it, um, that I didn't understand what food was doing to me or for me. Um, and the big book um, helped me uh, to do that 
um, and, and now I am recovered um, thanks to this program and the food is no longer calling me and that's why I can say I'm recovered. So, but, um, hey, I'm here and I just said food kicked my ass so I took step one, right? You know, it feels like that should be enough that I'm admitting that I'm powerless over food and my life has become unmanageable, but saying that food kicked my ass isn't doing that. And that's what the big book will show us. Now, why would the big book spend so much time on step one? Um, you have the doctor's opinion. You have the first part of Bill's story, the first eight pages of Bill's story, and I'm going to go over those two parts. And you used to have there is a solution and more about alcoholism, which, which D is going to go over. Why would the big book spend so much time on step one if it was that easy to walk in the rooms and say, I'm powerless over food? Why? Well, we're going to find out why, because it isn't that easy. By, by saying I'm powerless, because food's kicked my ass, doesn't mean that I'm powerless. There's a big difference. So that's what we want to spend some time on today. So... Um, I just do want to do want to comment on one thing that isn't big book today. I read it today in Voices of Recovery. I do my daily readings, um, and part of the reading today said the pain of where I am. Uh, I'm ready to 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 do something if the pain of where I am is worse than the fear of where I'm going, and that's when I welcome change. So, for me to walk into the rooms of OA on November 3rd, 2003, it wasn't only that food kicked my ass, it was that I was ready to change. Um, didn't know I was ready to change, but I, I needed to do something different than I was currently doing. So, let's get into the doctor's opinion. Um, so the first page of the doctor's opinion on um, XXV, um, talks about something that um, was important for me to, to, well, first of all, I'll start by the first word, is we. Um, so it's, this is a we program, and it's for everyone, and we welcome everyone into this program. Um, and that's important for me, because when I walked in her rooms, I was scare, scared, you know, more scared than talking today. Um, I was really scared to walk into the rooms. Um, and it took me three years from the first time of telling me about OA to even walk into the rooms. That's how afraid I was to walk into the rooms. Um, so when I walked in the rooms, I was really petrified. I had no idea what to expect. But seeing all of you... Um, and one of the people uh, is, is actually that was there at that first meeting uh, is here today. Um, and I was petrified, um, and, but I heard my story in you. So um, by you guys sharing your story, you made me feel welcome. Um, and I teared up and I welled up inside. That was the first thing that I needed to feel accepted in this program. So those who are afraid to share, <laughs> You know, I, 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 I feel like it's part of my, you know, um, my carrying the message to just even share sometimes at a meeting because it really allowed me to connect with you. Um, so that, that first word is very important for me because it is a WE program and I do feel that I am a part of now, part of something very important in my life. Um, 
and I'm, I'm so glad that the first word is we. The second part, second thing I want to point out um, is that um, it talks about, you know, in late 34, I attended a patient who, uh, though he had been a competent businessman of good earnings and capacity, was an alcoholic of a type I've come to regard as hopeless. Um, and that person was Bill W. Um, I can relate to that as being hopeless walking into the rooms. I think that was probably the best thing for me to walk in to think that I knew anything about this disease or what I was getting into was probably the best thing for me because I came in totally defeated um, and, I, and I had nowhere else to go but up. And I was a sponge at that point. I just like, feed me. I, you know, I'm teachable, you know, whatever it is. At least I thought I was, you know. But I really, that, that notion, all of those notions, you know, preconceived notions had to be smashed, as we'll, we'll hear about later um, from D. It's like we, you come into, you have all of these ideas and all these expectations, but if you're really ready, you have to just put those all aside and say, you know, you know, I, I'm ready to to take anything in, um, and that's that's what I feel needs to happen and what needed to happen for me. The other thing I want to point out on this page is something very strange. Uh, I think it's strange because I'm just walking in the program. It's it's my first or second meeting or, or whatever it is, and here you are telling me that I must pass it on. Um, if it's if it's we're in the x we're not even in the page numbers yet we're in the xxv here people and they're telling us how important it is to pass it on to other people so i'm like wow okay i'll listen to that in the course of his third treatment he acquired certain ideas concerning a possible means of recovery as part of his rehabilitation he had commenced to present his conceptions to other alcoholics impressing upon them that they must do likewise with still others this has become a basis of a rapidly growing fellowship of these men and women and their families. This man and over 100 others appeared to have recovered. You know, I don't even know what step one is yet. But here they are telling me stuff about step 12, which I come to find out much, much, much later. But at least it's, it's, it's putting it out there that this is a we program i can't do this alone and even when i do become recovered it's not enough that i must do more and i must help others why because it's going to help me stay recovered and it's important for me to hear those words right on the first page because you know what i'm an easier softer kind of person you tell me the minimum requirement i need to pass with an 80 i'll pass with an 80 that's fine by me and i'll be very happy with it but if you, you, know, you raise the bar and say, that's not enough, Bob, I'll have to listen and do work harder, right? And that's how we work, I think. And it's not, I don't think it's just me that likes to do the easier, softer. So tell me you know, what, what I need to do, and I'll do it. Well, this is what they're t saying here, and this is what the big book does. And that's why this, this is something I need to study, because I might miss that. So... Getting on into the reasons why I ate, you know, um, in the second page of the doctor's opinion. Yeah, it talks about suffering alcoholic torture. 
and then I must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. Now, I knew I was screwed up in my mind. I mean, who else would think that I looked okay as a 300-pound man, you know, that that was acceptable, you know, and that um, I loved food, and what's wrong with that, right? You know, I'm an Italian kid. I've been growing up in a fat Italian family. Nobody says, you know, hey, there's anything wrong with that. I carried it okay. I had a little bit in my stomach. I had a lot in my weight, you know. My face was a little pudgy, yeah, but hey, I'm lovable, right? I mean, come on, people still grabbed my cheeks and said, hey, I love you, Bob. Shouldn't that be enough? But inside, it was killing me, right? But So I was going through that alcoholic torture in my mind. But I didn't understand, you know, that there was a physical part to this. You know, and that's what Dr. Silkworth is telling me, is that... I have an abnormal reaction to food. Um, So it was the foods that I was eating was causing me to want more food (laughs) exactly the same, right? So I I just didn't, didn't grasp that. I didn't understand it until I read this. I was like, so I would eat pizza, I would eat ice cream, I would eat cake, and I would want more. Makes sense to me now. But I didn't quite understand it then. Um, I didn't understand it really until I listed my binge foods when my sponsor told me to do that. I was like, why should I do that? I still want to eat those foods, right? Now, what I really wanted to do was come into this program and find a way that I could eat everything that I wanted and stay the same weight. I didn't want to necessarily get thin, but just keep me the same weight. That'd be all right. I'd be acceptable, right? But I still want to eat everything that I want. That's what I really wanted. Insane. And that's the definition of insanity, right? It's like, that's something really ridiculous. That's not going to happen. But I was eating all these foods that was causing this abnormal reaction to me. I'm not like other people, and I didn't understand that. I didn't understand that if I would eat that, I would crave more and want more. And it, it, might not be the ne- it might not be an hour later, but the next day I wanted it, and the following day I wanted it, and I would keep eating, and it became a habit. You know, and then, you know, how do you break a habit? It's really hard. You know, it took program to really to, to do that for me. So um, I couldn't break that habit because I believed the habit was okay. I'd accepted that as part of my life. Um, and, and that's why I needed a 12-step program because I was, I, my brain was not wired right. My brain was telling me that it would, all these things were okay. And that it was just a part of life that I was going to be a 300-pound 300 300 person for the rest of my life. And um, I'd accepted that until I didn't, until the food had gotten so bad that it, it kicked my ass. Um, so um, I love that the doctor, you know, admits his, um, his inability to, to come up with a cure here. Um, you know, in XXVI, he talks about realizing for a long time that some form of moral psychology was of urgent importance to alcoholics, but its application presented difficulties beyond our conception. With our ultra-modern standards, our scientific approach to everything, we are perhaps not well equipped to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. So it's amazing that a doctor is saying, I ain't got the answer. And that's what that meant to me that um, medicine 
you know, the medical field just don't have it right here. And this is the first time that I hear the spiritual part of it coming in, you know, that the moral psychology word is, is, is to me means spiritual. So, uh, and while that's not talked about uh, more uh, at this point, it, it at least says that this is more than just giving me a pill, <laughs> you know, or something, you know, some medical procedure that's going to, to, to stop me from eating the way that, I'm, that I was eating. Um, so I appreciated reading that as well. Um, so I'm going to have to have what we'll find out later is a spiritual awakening in order for me to recover. Um, so it's not going to happen from diet pills. Um, so, um, so this allergy, um, this craving, it says on the next page that I can never, because I am that type, I can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. So for me, that means that I cannot have those binge foods, those alcoholic foods um, that I crave. And so that's, that's the two part of this, of this disease for me. So there's the foods that I can no longer eat. I, I, can, I no longer have control over those foods. So I have to separate them out and say, those are not Bob's foods anymore. And everybody's different, you know. So my foods may not be the same as yours, and that's what I love about OA. It doesn't really say you can't have this, and you can't have that, and you can't have ha- forevermore. And they're the foods you can never have anymore. So what it's saying is that identify the foods that you have a problem with and stay away from them, Bob. It's that easy. And when you do that, you're not going to have that physical craving. Makes sense to me now. Didn't make sense to me at first when I first came into this program. But if I do that, I got a shot because I'm not going to have that physical craving to make me want to go back and back for more and more food. Um, on the other end of it, it's the, the mental obsession. Now, the mental obsession, I found a lot harder <laughs> because the mental obsession is the ones like, you know what, Bob, you just, you just got an A on your, your, your exam. Yay! <laughs> Let's celebrate. Let's have some what? Food. <laughs> or Bob, you had a really shitty day. You know, um, you deserve this food. And, and that's so. So those are the type that that mental obsession, the justification, the stress at work. You know, it was even more than that. It was the insecurities, the low self-esteem. I'm going to a party. I don't know anybody in the party except one person. That person went, went and left and went to with somebody else, and now I'm all alone. I feel all alone. No, I'm not all alone. I have my best friend, food, and I'm going to spend some time with that person, person, food. <laughs> it really was a person to me. It was that important in my life. Um, so he was my best friend, and more than that, uh, food was my god. Money was my God, food was my God, everything was my higher power that I had succumbed to, except what I really needed was a real higher power. Um, And that's step two. But the point is I wanted to say that I succumbed to food. You know, food was what I I needed at the time. So um, I... Food, food was, was, a, was a crutch 
um, it seems like it's so simple that it shouldn't be that hard to get rid of a crutch. Um, but it really took the step working the steps to get rid of that little crutch that I had. Um, because I was a thrill seeker. I was a thrill seeker and I don't seem like a thrill seeker, but I was a thrill seeker when it came <laughs> when it came to food, I was very much a thrill seeker. You know, so I was um, I thought about food all day long, right? And probably some of you can relate, but it was just the kind of the planning of it, and it was the the romancing of the food that I just said, "Well, you know, how am I going to spend my day today?" And I wasn't thinking about work; I was thinking about my food. It's like, what am I going to have for breakfast and my mid-morning snack, and what am I going to graze on all day long, and then what am I going to have later on in the afternoon, and then dinner? Wow, I can make this a really elaborate dinner, and and I'm going to be making it for 15, even though there's only you know four of us, you know, and I'm going to be eating for for the other 10 that make up for the others, right? And and that's kind of was like okay, and then I'm going to put the food away, and then later on I'm going to go back and I'm going to eat that food that. that I was putting away to save for leftovers tomorrow and then you know I'm going to eat some frozen snack cakes and things that aren't even you know edible (laughs) shouldn't be to a normal person Um, so that was a crutch right that was something simple that I should be able to get rid of no it it wasn't and it took the power of this program it took the strength of the steps to, to to get me out of that. So um, if I'm not willing to do that, I'm not going to recover. If I'm not willing to go to any lengths, I'm not going to recover. Am I willing to do this program? Am I willing to embark upon a journey? Starts with the first step. This journey starts with the first step. So if I'm not willing to take this first step and be all in, I'm not going to make it. So why do things half-assed? It says later, half measures will avail us nothing. So if I'm not willing to be all in, this program will not work. So I have to be that serious. I was very serious about the way that I ate for a lot of years. I got to be very serious about my recovery and, and the work that needs to be done. And I have to do that work. So I can seek thrills. And I used to, the way I used to think, seek thrills and excitement about food, I can now seek thrills and excitement about recovery. And it isn't just my own recovery. It's the recovery I see in other people. And I see what they do and the things that I can do because I'm learning from them. And, and just, just be have joy because other people are recovering alongside of me. So, um, and, you know... Bask in that. Sometimes it's a very competitive world that we're in, and sometimes we're very always like, "Oh, they're on step eight, and I'm only on step four. They've lost twenty pounds, and I've only lost two. I mean, such a competitive world that we're in. If we just put that all aside, and you know, just just leave it leave it alone, and just be accepting of where I am right now. I'm here in this meeting with all of you, and and I'm not compulsively eating right now that's a gift you know I could be home not at this meeting and binging my brains out it is a gift that I am here so accepting where I am now and knowing that I have a future knowing that I have a future that doesn't involve compulsive eating today is a gift it is a miracle really so um, 
I know I am coming up on my time, um, and I'm not going to go over my time. Um, so I just... Um, go right ahead. No, 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 no. <laughs> we want to hear from Dee. Um, so um, I guess what I really love in the doctor's opinion, I'm not going to get too much into Bill's story, obviously, but um, my, one of my favorite parts of the doctor's opinion is, is toward the end where it says... What is the solution? I underlined it in asterisk. I was like, yay, the solution. I'm only on page XXXI, and I got the solution to this book. I'm so charged, I don't have to read the rest, right? So I got the cliff notes right here. You know, and it, it basically doesn't tell you. And that's what I love about it. It's kind of like the ultimate, you know, foreshadowing. And what it does tell you, I underline, he accepted the plan outlined in this book. You know, it tells you a couple stories, you know. And then it ends by saying, I earnestly advise every alcoholic to read this book through and through. And perhaps he came to scoff, he remained to pray. Um, So what did he do? He studied this book. You know, that was the solution. Um, It's not going to be easy, but... Damn it, it's been well worth it for me. Um, so, um, as far as Bill's story, um, he was pretty full of himself. You know, um, he was high and mighty, you know, wealth, material focus. And there are a lot of things that I could relate to with Bill. And I, I was not a stockbroker, I was none of that. I was not, I'm not well to do. Um, but I know that liquor ceased to be a luxury. It, it became a necessity. Oh, yeah. Food was definitely that for me. You know, it was required. Um, I needed to numb myself. And, and that's what he showed in these pages. You know, the remorse, the horror, the hopefulness of the next morning are unforgettable. The courage to do battle was not there. These are some important lines in his story, which just... You know, Jin would fix that. All of these things that um, he had in his first eight pages was like, bam, bam, bam. I was in that bitter morass of self-pity until I came into this program. Until I admitted that I was powerless over food and that my life was unmanageable. I was... I was definitely powerless over food, and you guys showed me that. To, to admit that my life was also unmanageable was a little bit harder, but I had to really reflect on what the food was doing to me and for me, and what the impact that it was having on my relationships and the other people in my lives. Uh, it, it, my job, everything was impacted by the way that I was eating and the relationship that I had with food. Um, So I am so grateful that I found this program, um, that I am now recovered, and I have a life beyond my wildest dreams. Uh, I'm doing things that I never, ever thought were possible. Um, You know, I like to sing. I didn't do such a great job, but it it was okay. But, you know, I do... uh, 
I do like to sing um, and have fun with it. I do a lot of things that are fun in my life now. I used to hate running as a child because I always used to lose it, do it to lose weight. Now I'm an ultra marathon runner and I love doing that and I do things for charity uh, while I'm running. I, I just have a great time with life and I treat people well and with respect um, and I love myself and I have inner peace. Um, and I have this wonderful, amazing relationship, uh, not only with my family, but with my higher power. Uh, I have a spiritual relationship that I love, and, and I spend time with my higher power every single day, and I pray constantly. So these are the things that I do and I love to do, and um, these are the things that keep me abstinent every day, you know, thanks to my higher power. So thanks for letting me share. I turn it over to Dee. Hi, I'm Dee, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Hi, Dee. Hi, everybody. Um, my background is that I came into OA before probably some of you were born. <laughs> and, and I was in for two years. I got abstinent, and then I left. Um, and I stayed out and in relapse for 17 years before I finally surrendered and came back to program, I think it was 2007. So, um, and I was abstinent. And then more recently, December and January, I, I relapsed. I um, got a sponsor. I, I recognized it. I got a sponsor. Thank God I didn't go through. And I, I don't have another 17 years. So um, thankfully, enough of this program took that um, I got a sponsor and went through the steps and um, recovered today. And what I would like to pick up on is the doctors, uh, there is a solution and more about alcoholism. So now we, have, we were teased in the doctor's opinion with there is a solution, and now we've got a chapter where we think we're going to hear it. And um, we do. We do hear it. Um, and he starts off by saying that we of Alcoholics Anonymous know thousands of men and women who were once just as hopeless as we were, and they have solved the drink problem. And so he, he tells us what we need to know for our recovery. The same is true in, if we look around the rooms. We, it's a WE program, and the first time in and every meeting afterwards, I hear people who have used the 12 steps and have recovered. And so that gives me hope. Um, and, and because we come from all walks of life, we, we really don't know that about each other. What I know about everyone in this room is that they are a compulsive eater and they have a desire, a willingness, hopefully, to um, use the 12 steps and recover. And, and that's all I need to know about all of you, to love you. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and then down the bottom of the page, um, the tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which 
we can join in brotherly and sisterly harmonious action. This is the great news that this book carries to those who suffer. <clears throat> and that's why he's, um, that's why he wrote the book and that's why we study it as a textbook. Um, and he reminds us that what we have is an illness. It's not weak willpower. It's not um, anything else that you might have thought. I thought it was willpower and that I would just have to try harder, do more, try another diet, um, <laughs> you know, exercise maybe, that would help. But I do have an illness. I believe that in every fiber of my being, that the illness is um, a phenomenon of craving and uh, obsession of the mind. And that is what most of this chapter and the next chapter covers is the obsession of the mind that mind, mind tells me today it's okay to eat. And um, over and over and over again that happens. And it happened for me in 17 years. I, I would diet, I would, I tried probably everyone that's out there at this point. I even tried some pills. I don't remember the name of them, but they soon after everybody started using, uh, maybe it's injections. I don't remember if it was pills or injections even, but they, um, soon after everybody started using this and thinking, oh, this is the wonder drug. And then they said that it causes heart attacks, folks, you know, careful about this. And I remember somebody saying to me, um, you know that they've done a study and that it causes heart attacks. And, and I said, yeah, but I'll know the symptoms first. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> That's insane. That's craziness. Oh, my God. But that's what my mind will do in desperation because I want to lose the weight and believe what they tell me. Uh, you know, the diets, um, how many of them say, well, most all of them say when you lose the weight, then you can um, go back to eating everything. You just watch your portions. <laughs> and I would believe them over and over and over again. And that was, um, that was insanity. And that was the mental obsession that, yeah, I'm just like everybody else. I can do this. They, they tell me I can, so I can. Doesn't, believe, doesn't make it happen, that's for sure. I can tell you that. <laughs> and um, nobody else understood what I was going through. That, you know, my parents, they were, um, when they were around, they were upset that, you know, my mom would try to carefully give me the latest book on diets, you know, and, um, but nobody had an understanding. And even now, when I have an understanding of my, my illness, my compulsive eating, and, and I say to people um, that offer me a piece of cake or a piece of candy or whatever, no, thank you, I don't eat it. Um, and they say, oh, just try it, it's really good, you know. Mm -hmm. And, I, <laughs> and um, 
People do not understand that I can't have just one piece or one bite, that my mind will be off to the races when that happens. And, um, but in these rooms, you understand. But the ex-problem drinker who has found this solution, who is properly armed with facts about himself, can generally win the entire confidence of another alcoholic in a few hours. Until such an understanding is reached, little or nothing can be accomplished. And that's why Bob and I are, are spending time describing what our disease look like in us. Because if you can identify with some of these problems, and, and say, oh yeah, I've done that, I've done that. And then maybe you'll be willing to try the solution that is here in this book. It's not easy, but it's simple. <laughs> um, and, and then on page 19, he says, we feel that elimination of our drinking is but a beginning. And, and that was true too. I mean, I, I came into the rooms because I wanted to learn how to lose weight. I, I had finally, finally accepted that I couldn't do this on my own. That was a major belief that I had all my life. I've got this, I don't need help. Thank you for your suggestion. Very nice, you know. Tell me about another diet, but I've, I'm not gonna try anything. I'm not gonna ask for help. I'm going to do it myself. 17 years it took that, I mean, that, that belief was so strong in me that um, I could do it myself. And finally, finally the day came when I surrendered, when I had no more answers, and when um, I now was 100 pounds overweight, each time it got worse. The first time I dieted, I needed to lose 40 pounds, and I did. The first time I came into OA, it was 63 pounds that I lost. And then this, this last time that I came into OA, 100 pounds. You see the direction I'm going in here? Oh my God. <laughs> you know, and, I, and this is in between the yo-yo dieting, the losing 50 pounds, and then um, you know, gaining it again. So that um, it, it finally, finally surrendered and was able to listen. So, um, and that's what he tells us that, so the drinking is but a beginning and, and putting down the foods that, um, that we learned, uh, smashing the delusion that I can do this, I can be a normal person, I can't. There are certain foods, our red light foods, that, um, that I cannot eat. There's sugar and there's flour. And then I've learned, um, like nuts, I have this, this mindless, you know, and all of a sudden the bag's gone, you know? Uh, chips and that kind of stuff and peanut butter. But, um, and for each of us it's different. And so we don't have a diet, we have uh, uh, 12 steps. We, we develop our own food plan. And, um, so, and so he's, he's telling that he decided to uh, 
published this uh, book, and and we shall bring to the task <coughs> our combined experience and knowledge. This should suggest a useful program for anyone concerned with a drinking problem. And it also works for us who have an eating problem. Um, we, we use the 12 steps. And that's, that's the, the basis of this, this book. And some ways that he goes through here, there's, um, you know, trying to be like a, a, a normal eater and moderate drinkers or moderate eaters. There are people that I know that they, they could be overweight, but if there was a wedding coming up or if some doctor told them that you were going to have to go on blood pressure medications, they would, they would be able to diet and lose the weight. I never, ever could. I, I, I used to look at these people and they would lose weight. I was mostly aware of the wedding. I couldn't do that. I, no matter how much I would want to look good, of course, I couldn't do it. And then there's the hard drinker and, sometime, and the hard eater. And for some people that are overweight and um, they have a good enough reason, they'll be able to lose the weight. But um, I, I think that's a question that we can all ask ourselves. If we had sufficient reason to lose the weight, could we do it? Or did we fail every time? So, and that, that brings us to the real compulsive overeater and just smashing that delusion over and over again that I am not like a normal person. There is something in me, in my body, that once I put food in my, certain foods in my mouth, I can't stop. And there's my mind that will tell me that go ahead and do it. It'll be okay this time. Or you deserve it. Or whatever reasons I have. <laughs> They're ridiculous. Um, so he, he reaches a stage in his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. And that's true. It's, it's the first bite for me. I can put it down, and then uh, it's calling to me. It's the first bite. And why do I behave like this? Why? because my mind tells me this time it's going to be okay. So, and, and that's what he says on page 23. These observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink or bite, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic or compulsive overeater centers in his mind rather than in his body. And that was something that I truly experienced this last time. Um, it was all in my mind. And I was focused on the food, on, on binging, and um, what I was doing was eating brown rice pasta 
and corn tortillas. Um, I had not discussed it with anybody. I had not, um, you know, talked to a sponsor about it. I just was doing it. And I was giving my food, texting my food to somebody, and I just put down brown rice. I wouldn't put down brown rice pasta. <laughs> and I just put down corn, not corn tortillas. Hey, <laughs> this is what my mind will tell me to do, folks. Oh my God. Um, and and I didn't overeat them. I I still weighed and measured. Um, I didn't overeat them. But that secretiveness, that not, that taking it back on myself and making the decision myself, this is okay, I can do this. Um, and I should tell you that I, another belief I had was um, if nobody saw me eat it, it didn't count. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's a whole other story. But... but what I did reckon, so I wasn't, I was focused on the food. If these foods triggered me, I'll, you know, I, I would stop immediately. But they weren't triggering me. But my mind was thinking more and more about food. I was withdrawing from people. I wasn't participating as much as I could because everything was driven on food and food. And where, where I recognized it was when I was praying and meditating in the morning, I no longer felt God's presence. I was putting up that barrier and losing that connection with my God. And that's what drove me to admit that I was in relapse, that um, the mental obsession was very active in my mind and I needed help. And I called a sponsor and went through the steps. And what I learned well, that, this is giving you a peek ahead, but what I learned was um, to, a, a, a deeper and more willingness to, to trust and be open, to be vulnerable, and to be much more focused on others. Um, I'm going to zip right along here to um, eight pages into this chapter, he, Bill finally gets to There is a Solution. And it's yay. <laughs> this is what I wanted to hear. Almost none of us liked the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of our shortcomings, which the process requires for its successful consummation. Um, that's the solution. <laughs> I, there's no diet in there. Um, that, that is the solution, and it's the steps. Almost none of us like the self-searching, that's step four, the leveling of our pride, five, six, and seven, the confession of shortcomings, eight and nine. Um, but we saw that it really worked in others. And that, that's the hope that I clung to because I, I didn't even realize that these were, they were talking about the steps when here it's like, that's the solution, you know? Um, but it worked with others. And if I kept, if I got a sponsor and I did the steps, and this book also says, you, you know, 
this was made back in years ago when not everybody could have a sponsor, not everybody had access to a sponsor. We are very blessed to have so many meetings here and to have people that have that are in recovery. Um, but it, the hope that I saw in the rooms when people would share uh, their recovery and the peace that it brings and the contentment. And, and for me, it, it took away, it, it finally taught me a way to live my life every day um, by living the steps. I, no matter what problem I'm in, if uh, I can refer to a step and, and find out, uh, rather than using my head to, and all the chaos I would create when, um, when, I, when I had a problem, because I, I didn't have any answers. I didn't have any journey. I didn't have any path to go on. Um, and I'll just read some of what on page 25. Oh, this other part. Um, if, I didn't know we were so much alike. <laughs> if you were as seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there is no middle of the road solution. I had lived my life that way. Good grief. Now they were going to tell me I was going to have to really put effort into this and, and really work. This was a whole new way for me. Um, but uh, I, I quickly learned that I had two choices, two choices. I either would continue on in the misery. I couldn't. I couldn't. I was at the end of my rope. I could not continue on the way I was. And or accept spiritual help. And yes, uh, okay, I'll accept help, finally, finally. Oh my God, was that a relief to let go of that? But I had to, I mean, where he says there is a solution, it's, it's talking about going through the steps. And that's what I recognized. I knew that inside me, I really cared about others. I really loved my my kids and and family, but they didn't know it. They didn't know it. All they heard was the criticisms, the the anger, the resentments, the fear, you know. And um, I I had to get that stuff out of the way. And the steps showed me how. And it's and then. I, I was able to have a better relationship with my higher power, with my God, who is with me, not just up in the sky. My, my prayers used to be, I can't believe I'm saying this, they used to be telling God what he needed to do to take care of this person. Like he didn't know they were suffering. <laughs> When I think of the audacity of it, it's just amazing. So basically, I just put my kids, oh, and then I went through, okay, so I know I have a God and I, I have a relationship with God, but I'm not sure my son knows that, so I can still tell him, right? No, no, you can't do that. <laughs> God is with every single one of us, and as soon as we're ready, um, God will act in our lives. And I guess I gotta 
Then he goes back to, after he tells us a solution, now he goes back to more about alcoholism. And that's where he, he covers, I'll do it in six minutes. <laughs> um, um, he covers, you know, are you sure you're a compulsive overeater? Uh, is there any doubt left in you that you are a compulsive overeater? Because if there is, it's going to take you down. It's going to take you down. When I, and that, I guess, is why I stayed out for so long, in 17 years. And some people keep coming to the meetings, and that was my way. But I was not willing to admit that I was a compulsive overeater. I knew it when I went into OA the first time, but then I thought I was cured, so I'm the only one. Um, but it's, it it's took me a long time to accept that I couldn't do it myself, that I was a compulsive overeater. And that's what he drives home in this chapter. Um, we know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. And I proved that to myself over and over and over again until I was finally ready to surrender, to, to surrender my belief that I could do it myself. And that was when I came back into OA. 17 years it took me. And I certainly had a lot to learn but we would get worse before we get better. And then he goes on to give different examples uh, of what the mental obsession is like. And I would read these things, and I, but you did, still didn't show me. I didn't get it. And that's the whole point. It happens so fast that we don't recognize that it's, our even mind is, is going. At the same point that I know that I can't eat these sugars or, or one scoop of ice cream, the other part of my mind is saying, yeah, you can. It's, it's okay this time. You'll, you'll get right back off it. You know, tomorrow will be a new day. Or you've already had two scoops. Might as well finish it, and then you can start tomorrow. I, I mean, the sick craziness. And so he tells us stories uh, about uh, a man. A man was noticing that he was having problems drinking, so he stopped drinking for 25 years. Then he retired, and you know, figured, okay, after this long period of sobriety and self-discipline. I could drink like others, you know, I'm, I'm cured, I'm fine, and it, it isn't, I, and that happened to me after two years of being abstinent. I started with one bite, and before I knew it, it, it was the whole cake. Um, and this man, he's, he um, couldn't stop drinking once he started. The disease is progressive. Even if we're not active in it, it is still progressive. And then he, he was died within four years. Um, so that is one thing that we need to know. 
that no matter how long we're abstinent, it can happen any time, and, and our minds will tell us that. And then we have, he gives another example of um, the man that um, they had worked with, a, a friend called Jim, and he, uh, they tell all went well for a time, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. Oh, okay, he believed in God, but he didn't enlarge his spiritual life. So, and so he kept having slips, you know, or relapses, whatever you want to call them. And they say um, he found himself drunk half a dozen times in rapid succession, and we would keep working with him over and over again. And then um, he talks about this time that uh, he felt irritated and that he had been a salesman for concern he once owned. And, and then he had a few words with his boss, but nothing serious. And then I decided to drive into the country. Does that sound like a description of restless, irritable, or discontent? <laughs> <laughs> you know? But you don't recognize it, you know? It's, it's not like a light comes up in front of you and says, flashes, you know, oh, you're, you're irritated, you know? And yeah, I didn't monitor myself like that, you know? I was always looking to blame somebody else for it, you know? It was never me, so I, I just would ignore that. And then, so then he stops at a sandwich place and suddenly the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. So he did that. And of course, that, I mean, that's the mental obsession. That, and I would do that over and over and over again not recognizing that all these resentments, all this anxiety and stress that built up throughout the day, I was trying to manage with all the food I surrounded myself with at night. And that's, and then, oh, the jaywalker. I just have to tell you this. <laughs> For those that were at Friday night's meeting, sorry. <laughs> This story used to drive me nuts. You know, how many times now have we gone through the, this, the text of the big book, but the jaywalker, you know, like, who could be so ridiculous to keep doing that over and over and over again? It was too much drama, too, too much over the top. I mean, this guy just never got it. He never learned. And until he, he, I think he got killed. I don't know. I don't even know the story. And and even when I was going through the the big book with my sponsor this last time, I was like, oh God, I'm just gonna skip over that. I know that story. And then I said, no, don't do that. <laughs> You're committed to reading everything in the chapters. Do it. And oh my God. I finally saw myself in these pages. Not as dramatic, and nobody would see it because I would eat normal in front of people. I would check out their place, and that was all I put on mine, and I would eat it. But the insanity and doing it over and over and over again, every day, going, going to... Um, 
the stores, and I was more focused on going to a different store so that the cashiers wouldn't recognize me all the time. <laughs> they cared. Ay, ay, ay. And then I was busy faking it that um, I was buying for two people because I got two small diet sodas rather than one large one. So they did, wouldn't think all this tremendous food was for me. I, I mean, that's what I was focused on, folks. Not, not that I was once again stuffing food in my mouth. So I, I had warnings all the time. My weight was going up and up and up. So finally, the jaywalker makes sense to me. <laughs> and um, it, it, the damage that I was doing was not as dramatic. But by the time I came back to OA, my blood pressure was high, my cholesterol was high, I was pre-diabetic, so I, I was headed for trouble. And then, uh, I, okay, and then Fred, I don't want to get shortchange him, but, <laughs> but, but Fred had a trouble problem too. And as he crossed the threshold of the dining room, the thought came to mind that it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails for dinner. And you all know the story. Um, and, and he was off and running. And uh, I just want to finish up with this one um, thing that they, that they say towards the end of the, the chapter on page 42. Then they outlined the spiritual answer and program of action, which a hundred of them had followed successfully. Um, though I had been only a nominal churchman, their proposals were not intellectually hard to swallow. It's a spiritual program, not a religious program. And the program of action is the 12 steps. Um, they seemed entirely sensible, though pretty drastic. Um, it meant I would have to throw several lifelong conceptions out the window, like my belief that I could do it myself. I had to do that. Um, that was not easy, but the moment I made up my mind to go through with the process, I had the curious feeling that my compulsive overeating condition was relieved, as in fact it would prove to be. Um, and quite as important as the discovery that was the discovery that the spiritual principles would solve all my problems. I have since been brought into a way of living infinitely more satisfying and I hope more useful than the life I lived before. And that is what the 12 steps can do for us and what it's done for me. I, I don't have words for. Thanks for letting me share. Thank Thanks for sharing.